Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Hey, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Today is World Sea Turtle Day, and it is celebrated on the birthday of Dr. Archie Carr, father of sea turtle biology. And for my listeners in the Vero Beach area, you also know the name because of the Archie Carr National Wildlife Refuge. And if you get the Vero's Voice magazine, the next month's issue, the July issue, will have an article written by me, the one and only Laura Stewart, um, about turtles. And I had a lot of fun researching it and doing a turtle walk. So I encourage everybody to register today to do a sea turtle walk in your area. You can call the folks at the Sebastian Inlet if you're in Vero and there's turtle walks everywhere that sea turtles um, nest this time of year, and I, I just really encourage you to do it. And also, if you are anywhere near a beach, pick up plastics and pick up garbage because it will help our environment and the sea turtles. Um, it's something very near and dear and special to my heart. And also today, we have a wonderful show. If I do say so myself, we've got um, Marlene Chisholm on the show today, and Marlene is a consultant, international speaker, and author of the book Stop Workplace Drama, and her latest book is No Drama Leadership. And Marlene and I first met when we both spoke for a healthcare company about stopping drama in electronic medical records implementation a number of years ago, back when I was in my full-on geek days. And Marlene has a passion for developing wise leaders and helping people to discover, develop, and deliver their gifts to the world. From her unique experience of reinvention to her experience working with all levels within an organization, Marlene has learned to speak three languages, the language of the owner, the language of the manager, and the language of the employee. Marlene takes a position that communication is not a soft skill, but is instead a critical skill necessary for no drama leadership. She has a communications degree from Drury University and a master's degree in human resources development from Webster University. And as far as I'm concerned, she has a Ph.D., in getting rid of drama in your life and your business. So please welcome my friend, Marlene Chisholm. Hi, Laura. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing fantastic, except I'm having just a tad bit of trouble hearing you. You're having trouble hearing me. You're going to have to uh, do something with your phone. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm just going to do my best then because I've been increasing it as much as I can. Oh, no, oh, no. What we might have to have you do is hang up and call back in because there may be a problem with your circuit. That sometimes happens. So if you want to go, is it really hard to hear me? It it is. It's going in and out. So okay. why don't I call right back? So we'll why don't you call right back in, and I'm going to talk a little bit about your what's going on with your book and stuff while you do Sounds that. Sounds great. I'll call you right okay. back. All right. Jody's waiting. Bye-bye. So the whole idea behind Stop Workplace Drama and No Drama Leadership, to me, was amazing. And it really helped me while I was going through my divorce, believe it or not, with understanding how you have to meet people where they're at and how drama really impacts everybody you know we've all heard that um this person's a bitch or that guy um is a hard ass excuse me oh can i even say that on the radio (laughs) jody's laughing at me right now but what it really is all about is how you approach your communications and stopping drama is really about communications and i think we have uh, marlene back on the line now 
I'm back. Okay, great. Hopefully that's better, Marlene. It's a little better. Okay, great. Um, we can work on it more at the break, okay? Okay. So, um, Marlene, you wrote your first book, Stop Workplace Drama. Because of your experiences with your career, where you started out on the factory floor, and, and, I mean, now you consult to CEOs in the boardroom. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at today? Absolutely. You know, I went through what I call the three life tragedies. I had started in manufacturing, um, blue-collar worker, worked at Kraft Foods, every, doing everything from packing cheese on the line to stacking skid to driving a forklift to tearing down equipment for sanitation. So that was my world from the, eight, from the age of 18 to the age of 40. So it was 21 years. And uh, maybe it was 39, but it was 21 years. And... Um, during that time, about midlife, I guess about 35, when a lot of people start to seek something different, even if they've been very successful or they've been a professional in some realm, I find that a lot of people age between the ages of 35 and 40, they start looking for something else, and, and I was no exception. And so I went through what I call the three life tragedies. And those three life tragedies are that, you, number one, you know, what you, you, you know you want something more, but you don't know what it is. And the second tragedy is you know what it is, but you don't think it's possible. And the third tragedy is you know what it is, you believe it's possible, but now you have to be willing to take that step, to take action. So I was in that place of those three life tragedies for five or six years as I was trying to discover, you know, what's my purpose? What do I want to do? What's out there? Because you have to understand that as a factory worker starting at the age of 18, you don't know anything about life other than your little world. You don't know what other people do. You don't understand different industries. You don't understand business. So I, I knew I wanted something more, and I wanted it to come from living on purpose. And so from that journey, there was a lot of drama. And I started studying drama from the personal level and started looking at my own life, had learned, a, learned about a transformational tool that I, you know, that's called the Cartman Drama Triangle, and that started helping me to understand more about my own life. And then as I decided to make that transition from factory to professional and so on and build a career, and if you want to ask questions about that middle journey, I can share that. But I did go back to, to school and uh, it, it ended up going to get a master's degree in uh, human, re, uh, human resources development. And my capstone, which is your last project, was entitled Drama in the Workplace Hampers Productivity, the Effect of Relationships on the Bottom Line. So I took what I knew as a frontline employee and then started researching what was out there about business, about leadership, about relationships, about, you know, what is it that hurts productivity? Is there any relationship between having good relationships, good communication, being a good leader in those aspects and productivity? And that ended up becoming the foundation and the stepping stone for Stop Workplace Drama. And then Stop Workplace Drama became the stepping stone for No Drama Leadership. So that's, that's the story in a nutshell. And, and that's a very small nutshell because I happen to know that there's so much more in there that developed the whole drama thing. And everybody's going to have to get your books to find out more about <laughs> that. Because um, it, it fascinates me, Marlene, that... You were working on the factory floor, and there was so much that you, you had to just deal with and you had to take because of the culture of the organizations and not understanding what's happening at the higher levels. You just knew that you couldn't do your job 
really well because certain things weren't happening and um, it was an environment that really wasn't one that allowed the people doing the work to really participate in the process. Would that be a correct assumption? It is, but on the other hand, in a way, it's something that, you know, what I've learned since then is that we choose things or we react to things or we fall into positions or jobs for certain reasons in our life. And so while that is true, you know, my reasons for working there in the beginning was to fulfill certain needs. It was good income for that kind of work in where in the area where I lived. Um, it was a 401k. Um, it was just, it was a living. And so when people start to grow, and later on we can talk about engagement, you know, at, at first I was happy with that because it's, I got what I wanted. And uh, I did get to grow and learn a little bit, and I got to train on some different machines and, and to do some different jobs and work different shifts. And I was learning about work life a little bit. But what happens is when people start becoming unsatisfied and that's no longer enough, they want different levels of engagement. And I think that's where, I know manufacturing is changing nowadays, but when I was there, there really wasn't much room for engagement or interaction or the delivery of gifts. It's not something that is really thought about. You're there to do a job and you're a cog in a wheel because you're important if they're running extra lines and if they're not, then they'll lay you off and you're you're only as important as the need. So it's um, it's not truly a symbiotic relationship. It's more you're hired help to get things done. It, what's interesting about what you just talked about is one of my careers before I started my own company was working at Pitney Bowes doing something called workforce transition where we were empowering the factory line people to participate in the process on improving the jobs and improving the workflow and coming up with new ideas to even improve the product. Oh, that's pretty amazing because we didn't get that. Yeah, and, you know, what was difficult about it for me, because I did that after I'd gotten my master's degree in management and organizational behavior, was I got so tired of saying we can solve this if we all work together. Yeah. (laughs) Because not everybody wants to work together. That's true. And you can keep trying and trying and trying and trying, but sometimes people just don't want to work together, and that's where drama comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So your your first book to me was one of the most enlightening books I had read in, in decades, and I think it should be a requirement for every leader that's out there. And having read your latest book, No Drama Leadership, the, the question I have for you is what prompted you to author this new book? To offer the second book? The second book, No Drama Leadership. I mean, the first one was like the textbook, the handbook, the perfect thing to do. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you what happened was it it evolved in a way because No Drama Leadership in a way is a bridge book. And what I mean by that is that Stop Workplace Drama, every frontline supervisor, manager, even director, and, and even owners bought this book and it was profound for for so many people. And I, the reason I think it was profound is because it was plain language. It wasn't corporate speak. It wasn't academic speak. It was really, I, I used my own language. I created a new language. So we got to start from a clean slate. And from that perspective, so many people were able to use it and apply it and study it and do book clubs. And when I started getting training and consulting opportunities because of that book, I discovered something. 
I discovered that most leaders that are in supervisory management, at least those two levels. We're about to go into a commercial break, so we're going to have to talk about that right when we come back. We'll be back with more from Marlene Chisholm talking about no drama leadership and the process by which leaders really become leaders when we come back from the commercial break. Thanks for being here, Marlene. With Marlene Chisholm talking about her latest book, No Drama Leadership, and the whole Uh oh. Uh oh, what? I can't hear you at all. Okay, Marlene. Did I try my cell phone? Yes, please try your cell phone. Sorry. Okay, so we're having some technical difficulties. Um, Marlene will be right back. She's going to call in from her cell phone. We're going to go with new tech for old tech. It's a lot of fun, um, but you know, that's the beauty of live radio, everyone. Where When Marlene comes back in, I, we're going to be talking about this concept of how drama is really not good <laughs> in a business. I mean, I want you to think about your business and how things are going. And even in your life, you know, with your family, d- is the drama really necessary or is it not necessary? That is something that I learned the hard way running multiple businesses, um, being a manager uh, when I worked for other companies. As a consultant, I am often dealing with um, different kinds of companies, and I walk in there, and half the time the issues are communication issues. And I think we have Marlene back. I'm back. Okay, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, great. So, Marlene, uh, you were talking about your first book and all the requests that you began having uh, for your second and the concepts. Yes. So let's talk about that. Here, okay, so here's what happened. I, after that book, I started seeing some patterns, and what I realized was that most people at the first and second level of leadership, that being supervisors and managers, whatever their title, first of all, they do not identify with being a leader, nor are they treated like a leader from in their company, and they get no development. So what I saw was that senior leaders... And the, the top decision makers need to see leadership differently and need to start developing people at all levels to take on the identity of leadership. I just did a, a local training. I'm working with a partner of mine, and I asked the people in the room, do you see yourself as leaders? And most of them said no, and yet they are leading in every aspect of the word. These are people that are helping others find new careers. It's the Missouri Workforce Development that most of them, even if they're a supervisor or if they're just, I say just, even helping one person get a job, you're still leading someone else. And so until we take on that identity, there's an identity crisis, and that impacts everything we do. So I knew that I had to write a book that was from a more um, a higher perspective for the higher-level leader, but at the same time, anyone who's read Stop or Place Drama would have the tracks laid so that they could understand this book. And this book, for me, um, was really different in in that what really hit me was a concept you talked about, about alignment. Yes. And value and values. Can you talk to us about that? About alignment and values? Yeah. You know, there's value, what somebody values and what their values are. And yes. how if you're not in alignment 
with whoever you're working for or, or your business being in alignment with your own personal values, how, how the difficulty comes? Yes, absolutely. The, well, the first section of the book is called The Will to Be, and I'm saying that enlightened leaders have the will to be aligned, aware, and accountable, and alignment is everything. Alignment is not just about going from point A to point B and getting to a goal, and it's not just about what we call integrity. Alignment, the reason it's so difficult is that we have to harmonize many, many, many different goals, interests, agendas, and when one of those areas is out of harmony or out of balance, we will suffer consequences. So I do give a lot of examples in the book about your own personal alignment versus the alignment of the company, of the corporation. So if your company subscribes or ascribes to a certain type of value, the values that they state on their website, if you as an individual are not aligned with those values, if you are not, it cannot come into harmony with those values, there's going to be a problem. And one thing that I, I see people struggling and suffering with in their own lives is that they'll be miserable and uncomfortable, and almost every single time that misery is an alignment issue. There's something they value that they're not doing, and the way that you know that you value something that you're not living is because you feel uncomfortable, because there's a part of you that knows that you're not stepping up to the plate. And, you know, I've seen people that they, they need to grow their business, they need to build their business, but they don't step out and network and build relationships, and they'll struggle and suffer but there's something they're unwilling to do. So it's you, you're not going to be able to build your business if you don't get out there and meet people and build relationships, and yet they don't realize why they're suffering. They're suffering because a part of them knows that they are responsible and they're not stepping up to the plate and living in alignment with what they say they are seeking. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Do you think that that alignment issue is um, one of the biggest problems that leaders face? Yes, it's it's everything. Alignment is everything. Um, anytime you're struggling with drama, there's an alignment issue. Now, in Stop Workplace Drama, I said that in all drama, there's always three components. There's a lack of clarity, there's relationship issues, and there's resistance. Clarity and alignment go hand in hand. And so the way that I describe this in the book is clarity is about about the what, but alignment is about the whole picture. And so you can you can know what you want, but maybe you, you know what you want so you're clear, but you may be missing the boat on why you're not getting what you want. So in other words, you want to be a good leader, but you don't want to work on your temper. You, you have a temper and you get triggered and you don't, you don't want to look in the mirror with how your emotions create a lack of trust with, with your people because they don't know when to expect a blow up. So you're out of alignment with good leadership. With everything that leadership is, you have to develop trust. And until you have awareness, the clarity is only going to help you so far. So clarity and awareness, they're not the same thing. And so I talk about awareness from four different aspects as well. But alignment is the whole picture. It's, it's being in harmony with all of the different competing parts that you have to work with as a leader and as, a, as an organization. Okay, so what are the other big problems then besides alignment that all leaders are facing? I think um, the three big problems that I'm seeing, and I wrote about this in the book, there, there's many, many, but that all leaders are facing is speed, choice, and transparency. We're living in a time of just rapid, rapid, rapid change. The speed, we're like race car drivers. We all have race cars, but we don't have the wisdom to, to really drive them. 
take just how fast we can get a hold of someone by text or by email, or we can make a rapid decision. And the faster technology gets, it doesn't really save us any time. It just creates a new standard. And so we're all living in this world of speed. And so there's very little space now between stimulus and response as a result of that. And so we don't recognize choice. So that's the next piece is that because there are choices, but if you'll, if you'll stop and listen, Almost everybody talks about time as if they have no other choices. I have no time. I have no time. There's no time. I'm so busy. Same thing about money. We have relationships with everything, including time, money, leadership, and so on. And so choice is another one. Peter Drucker had said years ago, really it wasn't that many years ago, maybe five or six before he died, he said the biggest problem that we're going to see is not technology, or maybe he said the biggest impact is not technology, not the Internet, but for the first time, Everybody has choice, and society is unprepared for it. And what that means is is that we don't know how to manage our choices, and we don't understand the balance between responsibility and choice. So what is the great equalizer out there is transparency. And the point being that you can say all day long, well, we've decided to be transparent. And what I say is you don't have to decide to be. It's a given. It's not really even a choice. We're all on Big Brother. Anything you say, anything you do, any any quick trigger reaction you have on social media, it's likely to be on the front page news if you're an executive or if an employee does something that that you that would get you in trouble. You know, it's it's the speed, uh, choice, and transparency. It's the abuse of power that's going on right now because we don't have enough wisdom, and that is why we need more enlightened leaders. Because once enlightened leaders understand what a company is up against, they use their wisdom and their awareness to to protect the company. So that we're all on the same page, and before we go into the the news break, define enlightenment for me, enlightened. Wow. The way that I've defined it in the book is is that it's expansive. Enlightenment is seeing a bigger picture. There's many parts to it, and and I have yet to, to develop a really refined definition, but what I will say is that this is not about religion. It's not about Buddha. It's not about any of the, the ways that we've thought of enlightenment. It's about the eyes to see. And so what I call enlightenment is supervision versus supervision. In other words, we see more for others than they see for themselves. Uh, Enlightened leaders are able to see drama not as an obstacle but as a stepping stone to to a higher level of leadership. And they see communication not as some sort of soft, nice-to-have skill, but they see it as a critical skill that's a strategic skill. So they actually see differently. They see a bigger picture. They're more strategic. It's sort of like flipping on a light in the dark. That's what an enlightened leader is. Perfect. So as we go into the news break, it's uh, enlightened is being able to step back and look at the big picture. We'll be right back with more from Marlene Chisholm after the news break. While you're thinking about the news, think about where is drama happening in your life and are you seeing it? Hey, Marlene, before the break, you and I were talking about your definition of enlightened and you talked about the eyes to see and then you talked about supervision versus supervision big big difference um i love that quote and um, i've got to get my twitter going on my iphone so i can tweet out supervision versus supervision that was awesome (laughs) that was such a tweetable quote um one of the other things that enlightened leaders have that you talk about is the power to create um That concept, you know, a lot of leaders don't really think they have the power to create. Well, a truly enlightened leader does, but there are so many people in management roles that don't believe they can create anything. Um, 
I know there's a lot more to that thought that you have. How does that exactly Absolutely. work? Well, let me get, let me share a story because we miss we miss examples of enlightened leadership all the time because we've got a concept around it. Um, there was a there was a special needs school. I read about this story. This is not a personal story, but I thought it was very enlightening. There was a special needs school for children, and uh, the children. Some of them had trouble communicating. Some of them were born with certain. Um, physical limitations, and it was determined that in order to help the children learn, they needed iPads. They needed the ability to touch the screen, to be able to use the, you know, ability to watch videos and, and so on, the things that iPads provide. But as usual, there was someone that said no, and that is what I call the budget. The budget. We, we bow down to the budget, kind of like the Pope, the President, the Czar. The budget said no, there's no money. But there was an enlightened leader that did not see limitation. There was an enlightened leader that said, you know what, there's all kinds of ways to get money for something like that. And so this enlightened leader set up uh, a one of those GoFundMe websites, and within a couple of hours, the money was there to buy the iPads for the kids. But what's more inspiring about this story is that the enlightened leader was 12-year-old Cassidy Huff, who was one of the students in the school, who had an extreme case of dwarfism, and she was getting ready to go for her 33rd surgery, and she just happened to throw up a little website and get the money for the iPads. That is an example of enlightened leadership, the eyes to see and the power to create. But it's not just thinking outside the box. It sounds like it's looking at the fact that the leader doesn't have to be the actual leader. The, the leader, it, it depends on how you define leadership. I see that as, a, as a, a real visual of leadership because there's someone that took action to make something happen, and they fulfilled a need. And so what can we learn from someone that's young, like Cassidy Huff, who didn't just say, well, I, I really can't do anything. I'm just a student. I'm 12 years old, and this school said there's no budget. She just thought, well, I can do so. It's initiative. It's this ability to take initiative, whether that's getting other people involved, finding other resources. The power to create is owning your role as a creator, not only in your personal life, but in, in your work life, in your community. What can you do? What kind of initiative can you take? That's really one of the signs of enlightened leadership. And it may be that that leader just simply is good at relationship building and finding other resources, getting other people engaged. But enlightened leaders take action of some sort. They take initiative. They don't just sit back and say, well, there's no budget. So they, they don't just accept limitation. So they don't allow themselves to be defined as a victim or put on that exactly. mantle of, well, there's nothing I can do when there really is something they can do. Yes, and even if it's a small something that they can do, there's always something. They are always, they define themselves as creators. They are creators of the environment, um, they are creators of um, the, uh, you know, of empowering other people. They create. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched The Prophet. You ever watched that? No, I haven't. You've mentioned it to me it's, before. It's a great show for entrepreneurs and for business owners. I really love it. Um, there was a show, there's a man named Marcus Lamonis, and he comes in and he invests money and he helps to revive a business or helps them to make profits. And what I love about this show, and I quoted this in my book, it's another story, how he took a, um, a wine store and he changed and created a different environment that 
changed the way customers behaved. It was more like a brown derby in a sense that it was, you know, stacks of wine and people would come in, but there was a little area to eat, and that's where most of the revenues came from, when people would have a little pizza and buy a glass of wine. And as you can imagine, you're going to make more money per glass of wine than you are per bottle. So he changed the whole environment to where it was it was beautiful. There was all kinds of tables. They expanded their menu, and they changed the business. They created a whole new business off of an existing business, that's an example of creating, creating using the environment, the physical environment. But when you look at it from a different perspective, that leader that came in, Marcus, he used his mental capacity, he used his vision, and that's the invisible component that started this whole creation. So creation is not just on the physical realm. We start with an idea. And and enlightened leaders use their mental energy, their emotional energy, with an idea, and that manifests in the physical form. When you told us the example of the 12-year-old girl who created the GoFundMe to get the iPads, one of the reasons I have seen in the past, and, and I've done this myself, why sometimes I don't take action, is that whole idea of responsibility versus accountability. If I take action, I'm going to be held accountable for this. And you know what? I'm not being paid enough to be held accountable for this. Or, Uh um, you know, I'm not going to be able to follow through on it. Or I'm going to get um, yelled at because I I stepped outside the bonds of the boundaries of what my job description is. Uh, Yes. You know, responsibility versus accountability is such um, a leadership um, I can't even think of the word. It, talk, in, when, in your book, you well, talk it about it. It creates confusion because we use the words interchangeably. But, the, but they're not we, interchangeable, correct? The, well, they're, they're related. And so here's how, like what I've done for the purpose of my body of work and, the, and explain things the way that I think will help people the most is I've made a distinction between responsibility and accountability. And responsibility, the way that I'm talking about it, is to take ownership of something, of an idea. Like, like in other words, Cassidy Huff, she took ownership. Now, what we do a lot of times is we try to make people accountable. And if you, if you listen to the word accountability when it's used on any national disaster, you'll hear something like, someone's going to be held accountable. Who is it to be held accountable? And so I think that they are different terms. Accountability is proof that you did what was required, and, and, you, and if you take ownership first... Accountability is just simply a guidepost to say where you need to course correct. But if you try to impose accountability on people before they've actually taken ownership, before there's a desire to do the job or to do it well, you're really just going to get people skewing the numbers. If you look at any kind of anything back in history where there's been some sort of a national news because someone had to be held accountable, oh, my God, they've been lying about the numbers, Wall Street, the banks. If you start looking at it, the reality is there was never any ownership to begin with. They were using accountability because that's sort of a, you're going to get in trouble if you don't do it. So instead of using accountability to course correct, we use it as a way to win the award, as a way to get approval. And so we've got it backwards. We're afraid of course correction is part of the problem. If, If we weren't afraid of course correction, accountability would be no big deal. Okay, you didn't make your numbers, why not? But instead, we punish people and say, well, we're going to hold them accountable because they didn't get the job done. Maybe there's a reason. 
maybe maybe we're asking too much. Maybe it's not really possible. And so we don't find that out until after we've all been lied to or, or been involved in a Ponzi scheme. So we're afraid of accountability because of the drama that often... I think so. I think we're afraid of accountability because we don't use accountability correctly. Mm-hmm. It's just like, here's the easiest way to think about it. All of us understand trying to lose a few pounds and going on a diet. And the accountability is actually the scales. And what makes the accountability really stick is a witness instead of just yourself. I mean, there's self-accountability, absolutely, but most of us, we, we like to lie to ourselves a little bit. Well, I'll wait till tomorrow. Well, that couldn't have done too much harm. I know I'm holding water today. So we not only do we avoid the scales, we might even kind of fudge a little bit. Well, you know what, I think the scales are a little bit off today. If you've got a witness, if you've got another person to help you, another eye, a pair of eyes to see, you either dropped the weight or you didn't. Now, if you've been doing everything you can, you want to know. Like, if you've truly stepped up to the plate, you've been doing your exercise, you've been eating healthy, you've been eating water-rich foods, you, you use accountability as evidence to see what's going on. Hey, if I'm not losing, there's something wrong. You don't look at it as I've got to cheat to, to, to impress somebody or even myself because if you weigh 200 pounds, you weigh it whether you know it or not. So accountability really <laughs> that's, that's is about telling funny. the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just... know, accountability is about telling the truth. Yeah, your example just really hit me like a lead balloon. If you weigh 200 pounds, you weigh 200 pounds. I mean, it's just literally a fact. And then you yeah, just you have to... Yeah, you either make 10% on your returns or, you you know, on your investments or you didn't. And to lie about it is just to make you feel good today so you keep throwing money, throwing my money my way if I'm the, if I'm the person handling your money. So, you know, the reason we lie about we're, the reason we don't like accountability is because accountability is a, a light. It, it's a truth teller. You and, either did it or you didn't. And if not, why not? Now we can course correct, but we don't see it that way. We're all so scared of judgment and so scared of course correction that we'd rather lie and get people to applaud us than to know the truth. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be a, a negative. It really is just a fact. It's sort of like a concept I talk about in my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? It's the Spock effect. It's... Yeah. Lay, laying out the information with no emotion, there's really, the the data is the data. It's, right. it's what you choose to do when you interpret that data that creates the drama or no drama. And right. it determines and your actions. We're afraid of judgment. And so we lie on, we lie and use accountability. We, we just don't use it correctly. Really, accountability is a, a checks and balances. It's, it's did you do it, did you not, did it measure right? There's, you know, there's certain jobs where you've got to have more accountability than others, obviously. You know, but it should be the tool to help you know if you're on track and you should course correct quicker versus it's a tool to just get the approval so that we can move on. Um, you know, well, we it was a check mark, but I lied on it because if not, I'm going to get in trouble at work. I saw this when I worked in the factory. Here's an example. Okay, well, we're going to have to go into commercial break, so okay. save the, the example from when we come back. We'll be right. back with Marlene Chisholm talking about no drama leadership, and we just had a great conversation about accountability and responsibility. Where are you sitting today? We'll be right back after the commercial break. So, Marlene, you owe me the rest of that story you were about to start with. <laughs> Yeah, these old factory stories are good for examples in, in every realm. Here's an example of uh, accountability and why a lot of times it doesn't work in a workplace. When I, you know, worked at Kraft Foods, um, and I, I have a lot of good thoughts about Kraft, so there's no, you know, there's no discounting them at all. But there was, a, when I worked in a department where they had the um, packaged cheese, the 16-ounce, you know, the slices that are that you put on kids' sandwiches, 
um, they have to weigh a certain amount. If, if you're saying and advertising that it's 16 ounces, it better be close to 16 ounces. You can have a little bit over, a little, just a tad bit under, but there's a certain rule that if it's too much under, those become rejects because you can't legally sell something and not give people what you're saying you're giving them. Well, we have a system set up, and this is sort of an accountability system. There's a person that takes the weights, it's quality control, and you chart those weights every, you know, 15 minutes or so, and there's an electric eye that when the weights, when the cheese goes across the scales that are also, you know, on the belt, it starts to drop that cheese into a bucket and, and we don't get to use productivity. So if that starts to happen, the waste can be tremendous, costing thousands and tens of thousands of dollars over in just a few minutes. Well, here's the deal. It's set up so that we catch it so that we don't get in trouble by the government because the government can go and check stacks of cheese and so on, you know, stacks or skids of cheese to make sure that we're in regulation. So what happens is if there is a problem and you actually report it or you let it go through, you know, the, the drop down box where you're getting all this reject, you're going to get in trouble because you were supposed to be watching it. But sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes something's happening somewhere else. Real accountability would mean, okay, I don't know why this is happening. Yes, we're losing money, but this is how it is. But the truth is, we'd tape up those electric guys and let that cheese go through. We'd slap another piece of cheese on it to do what we had to do because we didn't want to get in trouble. So, therefore, the accountability is not going to work. That's that's fascinating. <laughs> right. Because it, the, the reason accountability should work is that we can examine, see, people are afraid of getting in trouble. Now, if it was someone's fault, they weren't doing their job and they weren't watching those numbers, okay, you got caught. You know, but if you were doing your job and, and it, it happened, you're still going to get blamed. So because there's blame built into it, it's not going to work. And more often than not, you are doing your job. Something happened, sort of like the technical issues that we had at the beginning Absolutely. of the show. You know, everybody was doing exactly what we've done every other week. Everything looked fine, but yet there was issues. And, and therefore, people will cover their rear ends rather than tell the truth about it because telling the truth means getting in trouble. So that's why accountability doesn't work. So enlightened accountability is about deciding that accountability is for the purpose of course correction. Our main goal is to get people engaged and to get people taking responsibility for the processes and the outcomes, because if they do that, accountability is your best friend. I want to make sure that everybody who's listening on the show today, because we are so not even touching the surface of the no drama leadership concepts and everything that you talk about in your book, how can people reach out to you? Where can they get resources? I know the book is available wherever books are sold. Yeah, absolutely. And they can go to my website at marlenechism.com. And that's M-A-R-L-E-N-E-C-H-I-S-M.com. There's also a lot of downloads and, and free articles that they can you know, roam around the website and find some of those. They can sign up for the easing that goes out twice a month, which is called Align. And you'll just sign up on that from the front page. And there's also Stop Workplace Drama, and there's a lot of resources on that site. You'll see the books on both sites. And they can get with me on LinkedIn. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I pretty much say yes to everyone. If I check you out and you seem legitimate, so connect with me there. And you're on Twitter at Stop Your Drama. I'm at, on Twitter at Stop Your Drama, and you can also call me at 417-831-1799. Okay, repeat that phone number one more time, Marlene. 417-831-1799. And if they don't get you directly on the phone, they're going to get your 
awesome, awesome, most incredible um, assistant, Heather. Hey, man, they'll either get the voicemail or they'll get Heather, and she is a door opener, not a door, not a gate closer. <laughs> and, and, I mean, the story with Heather, I mean, talk about no drama leadership, how well, actually, Heather got, got to you. Well, she was a client, and uh, she was a director of a 911 center. She called me because she found Stop Workplace Drama. We started working together, and she just immersed in this work, and she took it on, and she really started applying it. And long story short, she asked for an internship. She was finishing up her master's degree, and I gave her the internship, and then I started teaching her all the marketing, and and then she wanted to become certified in this work to, to train it in public safety. And today... She is my executive assistant, and she trains this work, and she still does her director job. So uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, she's one of your first certified um, people because you certify people to actually do the work that you do. Yes. Which is really amazing because I, I feel like if more people understood that drama does not need to happen, that life would just be so much better. And, and, and yes, you know it'll it'll, it'll happen, but if you get rid of it faster, if you identify it quicker, then you don't stay stuck in it. I think that's really the bigger problem is just staying stuck in it. And you know, I, I count myself as one of those people who can stay stuck in it too. I think nobody's immune to it, but if you have the tools to recognize it, then you can become that creator. You can take responsibility, and you can you know get out of it quicker. All right. So, if leadership is about anything, what is it about? It is about alignment. It is truly about alignment. If you are out of alignment, you cannot lead. If, if you're not living your values, if you're not uh, living your values in coordination with the, the, your company values, and I think we all struggle with alignment. Are, can you share with my listeners um, one or two things that they can do right now to begin getting into alignment? You can start to pay attention to your, what I call your inner landscape, your, how, how are you feeling? Is something, something bothering you? If something's bothering you, if you're feeling stuck, start to pay attention. That's an indicator that you're out of alignment. Um, if you're avoiding a difficult conversation, for example, you're out of alignment with leadership. Leadership means making difficult calls. It means course correcting, helping people to course correct. So look at your relationships and look at where you might be avoiding or blaming. Those are indicators that will tell you that you're out of alignment in your leadership. Um, Look at what's happening in your organization. Does it match what you say you're about? If you're all about the patient experience uh, and you have a a, a hateful nurse and a rude doctor, um, you know what? You're out of alignment. And so that means as a leader, you've got to bring that into alignment. There's only two ways to align. Tell, your, tell the truth or course correct. And so course correcting and telling the truth are two difficult things, and that's why alignment is so difficult. That's really interesting what you just said about if, you know, what are your values? So, like, what are you saying you represent as a company, but then are you presenting it? And I can't tell you how many times I've, I'm asked to go into a company and do um, – a SWAT, sort of what we call a strength, weakness, opportunities, threats. But really what we're doing is going in and, and looking at the business as a whole from the outside in and saying, here's what you think's happening and here's what's really happening and getting that perception and perspective in alignment. And yes. so often it's, 
when when we start talking to the business owners and we start and I start talking to the staff, there's a split. Mm-hmm. And business owners think one thing, and staff think one thing, and and vice versa. And because of that, there's no common set of goals, and there's no common words that are being used out in the client. And then there's disruption, there's anger, and it really starts to show inside a company. So I think that is such an important concept. So as Marlene said, um, listeners out there, something you can do right now is begin looking at where you're uncomfortable, where you feel there's um, you're judging your um, you're not feeling good about things. Like you don't want to wake up in the morning and go to work. More than likely, there's some alignment issue, right, Marlene? And usually, it's part of it is is that we've got to have the courage to bring it up, and that's scary. And and that is a that's the difficult conversation. He that's owning the truth of how you're seeing things without blaming someone else for it, because we're all part of the system. And the reason something continues is because nobody speaks up. And, and there's the, reasons why nobody speaks up. And with up that thought, we're going to have to end the show today. So remember, the right questions can change your life, everybody. We'll see you, you all next week. It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.